Delby, have you got you? Yeah, got you. Hold on, sir. Can you hear me right there? Yeah, we got you, mate. Is that Can you clear? hear us on? It's actually on hands-free, which isn't ideal. I didn't mean that. Yeah, no, that's it's all good, mate. You got you pretty clear. Beautiful. How are you? Yeah, I'm going well, mate. How are you? That's Holmesy. Yep. Good on you. Holmesy, yeah, and, and Zach, Zach's just around as well, but he's just sort of looking after it today. Yeah, nice. No, How's uh how's it all going, mate? How's the preseason going for you? I'm busy. Probably tell we um some reason don't ask for like we commit to say it's all W probably bit off more than we could chew, and then that then ate into a bit of this season guide, which I'm such a relief getting that out. It's been a for some reason, I don't know why, but this one felt bigger and harder than the prior years. So That's exactly right, mate. Um, for those listening and who might not be aware of it, so Selby's season guides come out today. Um, is it Marrerasmagic.com? Is that right, Selby? Yeah, well, .com.au is the best way to get there. So Marrerasmagic.com.au is the worst name in the world to uh, pronounce. You've actually done a good job of it. Pronounce, spell, or remember. So it's M-O-R-E-I-R-A, magic, or oh, yeah, sorry, magic.com.au. And 30 bucks, it's, it's good. It's, I'm really proud of how it's come out this, this year and hopefully uh, people can use it and enjoy it, main thing. It doesn't tell you the answers. Like I, Myself, as a fantasy lover, like I, I like to challenge myself and pick my own pick so I can understand why people might not want to think that they're going to get all the answers. It's very much as here's the stats, here's what we've done in the past, here's our thoughts on them, and uh, it, I think it's a, it's a good package for the yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been following it since since day dot. Ever since you just had the the PDF file come out, um, couldn't couldn't recommend it more highly. Obviously, like you said, it doesn't give you all the answers, but um, it definitely tries to help sort of teach the philosophies and and things like that. So, would highly recommend anyone who's listening um, to go over and check that out. And obviously, the, the money going to charity is a, a great thing as well. So, who's you're the you played East Fremantle Colts, eh? Yeah, I reckon I was a year, a year just behind you. I think. Just missed you because I remember I went back to the, the last game at East Fremantle past players, and I was speaking to Scotty Jansen, and we we're talking fancy because he likes it. And he goes, "Mate, how's old Cole Holmes? He's he's coming second. And I was like, "Yeah, Holmes, he's heroes. He's on he's on the list because yeah, he used to play Colts with him. So that's a very small world. Um, they breed them well down there, these three. Yeah. I'm I'm trying to think back. It, was, it was, would have been 2010, I think, down there for Colts. I didn't quite didn't quite crack in that year. I think we won the flag. I think we lost two games, and we had Dave Swallow and um, Jamie Cripps and all those guys playing league, not even playing Colts. So it was a tough side to crack into. Oh, so we would have crossed over. That was not that I, I barely played league, but I was there with yeah that year when Cripps and Swallow were playing 
in that league side. So, you know, we would have been there at the same time. That's good. Yeah, very, very small world. All right, so going into today, just obviously we're, we're aware of time and whatnot. Um, so we'll just try and get through as many, as many of these questions as we can. Um, there's a lot of questions here, guys, so don't be upset if um, not all of them get read out. I've tried to sort of link some of them together if they kind of talk about the same things. Um, there's also a lot here about sort of individual players, which I'm sure Selby will touch on a little bit, but like you mentioned before, it's, it's more about talking philosophies and, and that rather than giving specifics on players. So we won't, we won't touch on them too much. Um, you happy with that, Selby? Beautiful. All right, so we're going to start with um, Spackers. He basically wants to know what's your philosophies about picking players that are returning from injury and if you have any rules or anything like that. Uh, I like to hope for the best that they're going to get a full turnaround, but obviously looking at recent years, like Zach Williams, or even a docker, there's been a few coming back from it where it's, it's Robin, to be honest with you, it probably fails more than it pays off. But then on the flip side, like if you're looking for a discount wherever you can get one, so someone like a Sicily, particularly if it's they've still had that full pre-season in them. So I think there's the chance Sicily was going to play last year in the regular season. So he's he's done a full pre-season. They train every day. It's not like he's lost his touch. So that's probably the rule. If they've as long as they've still done a full pre-season, I don't mind a long-term injury because 30%, particularly when that 30% comes off a high starting price like we had in Tom Mitchell in when he missed 2019, it was. Uh, he, he was like 40 points underpriced and Sicily's coming in, what, 26 points or something underpriced. So even if he makes up three-quarters of that, that's, that's all I need, so... I don't mind the injured players, but a lot of this too, it's, it's you've got to take the risk to get the good result. And Statesman, who's one of the, the better coaches going around, I heard him chat the other day, and he, he always says that the difference between him and me is that he always thinks, why can't this, why, oh, this won't happen, and reasons why it can't happen, whereas I try to look at reasons why it could happen. So who's to say they're not going to come back to their best and get those points? It might backfire, and you might come 5,000, but it's I think it's worth taking a punt on them to try to get that winner. Yep. So just on that then, um, someone like a Matt Crouch, there's a few questions questions down below about Matt Crouch. What are your, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, so I'm a fan of Matt Crouch. Roins are always a tricky one, particularly he's been interrupt, interrupted for a while. But Matt Crouch at his best, so his points per minute when he was, up and going. Everyone's talking about him being a mid-price. He's not a mid-price. He's a discounted premium. And same thing if you're an optimist would be like, well, if he can return to his best. He's always been a low time on ground players, 76%, 75%. So even if he's nursed a little bit and plays 70%, that'd be enough for him to hopefully turn up most weeks. So his sort of name's one which is, it would be hard to pass up at that price. But knowing that full well he comes with that injury risk, but I'd be prepared to take that risk if it pays off. You're looking like the hero, and you're right up at um, at, a, at a chance. So I do him. Yo, he's an interesting one because OP's tough, and I know he's, he's already had soft tissue.
this year. Well, I think he's had a, a course, he had a calf already and potentially a little hamstring. So, so no, that's what yeah, the groin soft test is a bit tricky. You just see with Shuey if you want a, a, a case in point of someone who can reoccur them. I think Zayd Rillis, who obviously does work with us, he had those issues with his calves, and once those soft tissues go, they just keep going. So you got to be a little bit cautious with them. But yeah, if Matt Crouch is looking good in the preseason. I'd be, I'd be um, looking into him. Yeah, that's that's interesting. That because we haven't actually heard that you always had those soft tissues. So that's a that's a little bit of inside word, I think. So that's that's handy for us to know. Um, just on the Crouch thing, is he at that price point? Considering he doesn't really go big too often. Is he at that price point where you can kind of wait a week or two just to see how he fits into that new Adelaide midfield? And that's the thing about miss prices that with two trades per week, you actually can miss them. Like the the best ones I've ever owned is were Oliver in 2017 and Toronto 2018, and both of those seasons I didn't start with either of them. So you can afford to miss them and get them in the the next week. Uh, but we've talked New Adelaide midfield. It's but Sloney's getting old. He's getting pushed out. Ben Keyes it's really good accolade that he's in the leadership group. So obviously rate him highly that he potentially can be a starting three on baller for them, first choice on baller for the rest of the year. But like for me, it, they're almost screaming for a Matty Crouch to come back and and take that spot. So. Yes, he can definitely wait a week. And with all these guys, he can wait a week. And that's why nailing the rookies are so important. And if you are spending up on those premiums and uber premiums, that's so important. And that's why I never like trading those uber premiums or premiums, even if there's a poor performance round one, because those first couple of weeks are all about readjustment of those mid-prices. And they're all at that price point where you've, you've, you've got the luxury to do that, which is switch between the, the two or three in those first couple of rounds to make sure when you're coming into round three and four, you, you look at your team and you're pretty happy. So then the trades from then on are essentially one up, one down. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. All right, um, as attack, don't spend too much time on this, Selby, but just sort of one player that comes to mind from each line that you'd be likely to start with this year if you were playing. I just go that I've already given two away. I'd rather stick with them and not give too much. So I'd... I'm on Sicily, but I just want to see him in the preseason. Sicily, the fans, Crouch, Ruck, I'm a big growth mate. Uh, Brody Grundy, man. Like, he's looked sloppy lately, but points per minute have still been not too far off his best. And he, uh, he's been playing 80% game time, which I can't believe. He's a big young Ruckman, and all these other Ruckman corner that are playing 90%. So, hopefully, the new coach gets him back up to 90 and the points will come, and forward line is a tricky one, mate. And I like how you come out and, like I said, it's very generous. These DPPs, Warney's given us all these guns, Duncan, Taranto, Jed Anderson, all these people. I don't think of forwards that we've been gifted them in the forward line. But as you said, they've all come with their own big uh, red flag on them. So I'm not sure forward line a guarantee it would have been to go if. He had a smooth off-season, but those two things have never come together since his career started. So, um, yeah, forward line's a tricky one. Yeah, yeah, I think that's where uh, where structures are going to differ a lot in teams this season is decide, deciding on, you know, whether or not you go 
go heavy there or, or start light. I suppose it just depends on what rookies we get later on. All right, you still there, Selby? Sorry, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, cool. All right, uh, moving on. So uh, virtual reality just wants your quick thoughts on Finn McGuinness. Uh, there's a bit of talk about him this preseason. Any, any thoughts? The, there's the profile of the guide if you want to go read that, but what are your initial thoughts there? Yes, probably just provide virtual reality to be honest with you. I, I try to watch all the games last year, and I saw, but I've got no real insight though on him and what I saw. Like He looks like he's got talent, they're talking him up, but who knows? He's at that price point where he's not the one where it's easy to, if he does flop, to flick to someone else. He's kind of that in-between, so it's a tricky one, and I think that would be like I've done with a Taranto and a a uh, Oliver in the past where they're not going to go like the way the pricing formula works in fantasy it's a five game rolling average they move round one to the first game they play but it takes until the third game until it, that average really starts rolling so there's first couple of games they don't actually don't move that much they would have a look at them and someone like a Finn McGinnis who might not even be in their best 22 I'd struggle to be putting it in my starting squad yeah, that's that's the point I was going to make is that it's a lot of money to pay for someone that's not even guaranteed best 22 and you're going to have enough worries about trying to trade out failed rookies and, and everything else than to worry about trading out a guy that's that's not even best 22. So probably not for me either, I would have thought. Yeah. All right, this, will, this one will be interesting. So Fantasy Memes, um, he wants to know about your thoughts on the Ruck Combo this year. Um, and then, you know, how that sort of works in terms of structuring the rookies and mid-prices later on. So where are you sitting with the ruck combo at the moment? Yeah, it's interesting. I'm good to ask you a couple of questions on this. So I've always been a set-and-forget man. I've always looked back what I've done in the past, and the two good years I had, I had set-and-forget rucks. The one year I, when I came to 33rd in 2020, I mucked around with a Nat and Nui and someone else around that mark. So I like setting, setting and forgetting. But looking this year, what is set and forget? Like Grundy, I mentioned, I've, I've been inclined to start with him. And in that R2 position, I'm happy to pass on Gorm. We'll talk about him in a second. So it's the next best score, I think, is going to be a Sean Darcy. I think he's definitely going to improve again. So he could be a, a sweet spot if you want to play that set and forget. Or you go really cheap. I don't like mucking around with those one's just less than him, like a, a Rob or one's around those marks. So I think you're still going to have to upgrade them at one point, but there's a small chance that Darcy could be a top two and it could be worth that risk. Or you go down to a Prusy or something, but who knows, maybe word isn't great out of there. And with GWS, the way they've gone historically with their ruck position, it's a nervous way each week, which is why I think I'm a sense forget man, but you're looking at winners, um, past winners the last few years, they've been not as much set and forget and even dabbling with a bit of a mid-pricer or discounted. Like the winner last year had wits, which looked like the right call, but obviously he's run into some bad luck. Gorn seems to be a bit of a forgotten man this year. It's funny, he's a man who's two years ago averaged 120-odd and last year was great again. Read your article this morning on DT Talks. You're... At the moment, you're looking like starting Maxi Gorn. Yeah, well, me and Zach actually talk about this a lot. So Grundy Gorn is 
he's he's obsessed. I'm a I'm I'm big on it as well. Like in a in a perfect world, um, you start a Darcy and he gets through the season unscathed. Then he pushes the the hundred mark, and Gorn regresses, and then and then they're probably close enough. But there's just the ruck line. It's so there's only two positions. There's limited options to go to if things fail, and more often than not, things fail. You know. Yeah, that's right. I've always been set for getting up to the last few years. But I don't want to say that's the only way to go because you're yeah, looking at the last couple of years, they haven't set. So this maybe new age fantasy isn't that. You can take that risk. Like obviously Craig hit the jackpot with Riley O'Brien that year when he had that breakout, which I don't think you're going to see that again from anyone. And having Max and Grundy have been not... I know we've got two trades per week, but you, you always want extra trades. And if you know that you're just going to leave them for the rest of the year, you don't have to worry about trade them ever, barring injury. It's, I don't think you're going to lose any sleep staying with those two. And potentially, like the, the, there's a period there where everyone was just going Grundy, going Grundy back in the day. And if you did anything different, that was the risk and that was your chance to take a, a leap in case you saw an underperformance from Gorn. Whereas if you're now starting Gorn with his low ownership compared to what he's been dishing up, that could be a good swing in the competition. All of a sudden, that's, he becomes a bit of a pod and a, a, a pretty reliable pod. And you can even double down on that too and make him a skipper or vice-captain rolling lockout this year throughout the year. I don't mind that play, but for me, it's it depends on your structure and how many rookies you've got to be able to stick Gordy because he's, he's, that, it's not cheap, that combo of Max and Grundy. Yeah. I suppose as well, like I'm just not as low on Gorn as everyone else seems to be. Like, I think everyone's kind of reacting a little bit to that to that grand final, and and it's it's fair. Like Jackson's clearly going to progress further on, and and they're going to keep developing. But there's Melbourne on the just on the brink of of something special. He's the captain. Um, all this stuff that's come out about Goody during the week. Like, there's they're going to come out hot. They're going to come out firing. I just I can't see. There needs to be that competition for spots. They're not just going to hand Jackson that time in the middle. Um, I think if that does happen, it'll be like later on in the season, and that's probably when people will start to try and bring Gorn in if if he is still flying and, and the number one ruck. So then you're just doubling down on that anyway. Um, yeah, one step ahead. You always want to be one step ahead, and that's an automatic one step ahead. The only thing I've got to say is that good year he had in the 2020 short quarters. I think his time on ground was 93% and he attended 93% of the CBAs. Last year, he still played 91%, which was a big chunk compared to what he was doing pre-COVID short quarters. And I think he attended 76% or something. So obviously, there's no question he's giving up ruck time. And the question is, I've got this diamond in... Jackson, they're going to want to give him time. They know the philosophy to, to win. Are they now going to be one of those clubs who wait to put the foot on the pedal when it matters at the end of the year? They don't need to kind of silence any doubters or anything. So that, I get where these question marks on Gorn are coming, but the more this... When we talk ownership numbers, it's hard to even take a read, and that's why when, with this... With ANCs, we give the ownership figures for the top 50, top 100, because I reckon... Out of the savvy coaches, which almost is a bit goes against the thought, but the savvy coaches, I dare say, have and the good great coaches the last couple of years, their ownership for Gorn would be much lower than the overall ownership right now. So 
if he becomes that much of a pod, it probably is potentially worth that risk. Yeah, beautiful. Definitely a, a big talking point, no doubt. Um, the debates will keep going on early, early into the season, so it'll be interesting to look back at the end of next season and to see how it played out. Yeah. Beautiful. All right, uh, moving on. Killer Kiwi wants to know if you can have both um, Rao and Caldwell to start the season. He's got them at M5 and M6 with the two big rookies at M7 and M8, but do you think that's too many mid-prices in the mid midfield? Just as much chance in that fail, it's my opinion. I think that you could see round one and they're both going to have a 60 next to their name and then you might want to move on both of them and you might have other issues you got to fix as well. So I don't think you can have too many mid-prices. I've, I've said this before, a lot of it is that little switch, but two who are 50-50 whether to perform or not and it's hard. Like, Rao was, we don't all know his and how good he looked and how he's popular pick last year. He comes in so much cheaper than last year, older and more mature. But it's hard to get out of your head how bad he was last year at the back end of the season. And then Caldwell was brilliant in that first game of the year. But his junior numbers and default numbers weren't super eye-catching. And then once he stepped out, the stringers' CBAs went up as the season went on. Harris's went up as the season went on, so the question is how much will he be getting that opportunity he got in round one last year. So they both come with question marks. I don't think the question is can you have too many mid-prices. It's more how confident are you in in them all performing and what's the chances in round two you're going to want to move them on because round's going to get the role. Round one, he'll have 75% CBAs. If he scores a 60, are you going to trade him? It's probably the question you ask yourself. Whereas if Caldwell gets a 60 with 75% CBAs, you'd probably continue to hold. Yeah. Just on Rao, we talk, we talk so much about that COVID year being such an outlier for so many players. Do you, do you think that that has something to do with how, how he came onto the scene as well? Obviously, he was, he was fantastic, but in 16-minute quarters, it's very different to playing a full game of footy. And obviously, we haven't seen it really in, in full games yet. I think the only, speaking of hope, is that his junior numbers were ridiculous as well. So it wasn't like he came from nowhere with these big, like his junior numbers were Sam Walsh-like. But you're right, like he's, we keep looking, and before at ICM, my God, I used to talk adjusted. I, oh God, I used to say adjusted 700 times, referring to the old average. Now we just talk about 2020 as if he averaged 100, whatever he's got, 91 was averaging 111 before he went down in the first quarter of that John game. So maybe we are a bit blinded by looking at that big score. But I'm a believer, number one pick. I hope we see the best of him. And if we if we do, like what what is his best? If his best is a 90, because I don't think he's going to be a spread from stoppages taking the marks, getting those big 110 pluses. But if he gets that role and gets in and under... Yeah, I think he can average 90, which is enough at that price. Yeah, beautiful. All right, so the Far Canelli's just on your mid-prices then. How how many points upside are you looking for in your mid-prices to consider a good value pick? Questions. I haven't got a certain rule on it. Uh, it's more... I think you want him scoring 85 plus. Um 
just when you look at your score on the weekend and if you see a few 70s in there, that's not what you want to see. So do you think they've got potential to score 85 plus? Because you're going to have straight throughout the year. You're going to have picks throughout the year. You've got to be prepared to hold them until the buys. And if you're going to get someone, even if they're outperforming, if they're priced and they're scoring 74, it's it's going to be a long 10 weeks trying to hold them. So whereas you can, you can cop a couple of 90s, so if Tom Phillips was 70s and you, you didn't want that, whereas if Tom Phillips was giving you 90s last year, you would have happily had him, or you'd have him until the buyers, or everyone had him until the buyers, but you actually wouldn't have complained so much about him. So I haven't got a certain price point. I know, like I'm talking to part of the season guy, we're doing a bit of super coach, which is all very new to me, and Tommy, who's the guru there, he talks about having 30-point upside on those mid-prices and enough to make 150k because 150k is worth 30 points and you're going to have to trade them. So, But yeah, I've got a certain rule on that that you want the 85 to 90. Yeah. Yeah, I think that just the key thing is you if you are going mid-prices, it's just they've got to score more than... They've got to outperform their price more than the rookies because obviously they're both there for a reason to make cash and... If you've got a mid-pricer that you're only thinking is going to make 20 points, then you're probably going to be able to chuck a rookie in there that's going to go 25, 30, more, more likely. So, And that's where they could kill you. Man. The rookies make the most... So the rookies can score 50s and make you a ton of cash. So you're giving up that cash generation for someone who might score not much more. So you, you lose the points of a premium and you lose a cash generation of a, of a rookie. And that's why there is a bit of merit to guns and rooks because you get the scores for the guns and you get the cash generation of the rooks. But looking at the last few winners, like they've, they've been stacked amid prices and the, the difference makers last year, Parrish, year before Petraka, year before, uh, well, that was the Olivers and Taranto. So you need them to win the comp, but there's... There's definitely merit in in guns and rookies, there's no question. Yeah, I think starting guns and rookies is definitely more of a play and then just AFL fantasy, right? Two trades a week, just being able to adjust on the fly, you know, trading in those mid mid price guys that pop. Like I didn't start with Hindor coming last year, but bringing them in at round three um, was probably a, a massive part in my climb up the ranks just because they were scoring so well in line with the, you know, I think they both went 85 in the end, which is close enough from, from their price point. So just making sure that if you are on the mid prices, you're, you're jumping off at the right time and not just holding a Tom Phillips to the buy. Yeah, everyone get another situation with that. Oh, that one, again, but he was, people keep saying how he's a bad pick, but forward status, new club, he's done 90s multiple times in the past, playing on a wing. Pre-season inside CBA has got it was 140 or whatever. I think it was the right call to think worst case you'll sit on the wing and score 94. No expecting to score those 70s. Yeah, that's exactly right. But, I mean, I know myself, I traded him out at round three just after watching him a few times. I was never, I was never as bullish on him in the pre-season, but obviously got tricked in by the 140. But just, just watching footy and just, just trusting your gut um, obviously, you don't want to trade out your premiums, but if he's a he's a mid pricer at the point and doesn't seem to be doing what you need, I'm I'm not afraid to jump off. But obviously, other people play the game differently. It's a great trade, mate. That's why you finish not two, what three points behind 
the car. That's that's terrific trading, trading around three. Because you're right, he didn't. And you watch him, because I recommended him, and that's why I was, I was invested in just watching him. He, you can tell those who are ball hungry and intensity, and, and as uh, Zave always talks about, Zach Jones, like he's not really fancy. Really. I think he was going to outperform his prices here. You watch him play, and he's frothing at the bit, trying to get the ball. And then you look at yeah Tom Phillips, who sort of just floats along, and there he is, back of the stoppage. It's it's frustrating to watch, and you're right, if you rip the Band-Aid off, especially with those high ownership numbers, that's, again, how you can play in your hand. That's why ownership numbers, in my opinion, is, is a very key stat, because that dictates your play. It's all good and well trying to pick the, the best price points of players, but if you can work those ownerships in advantage, and if you think someone's not going great, they're highly owned amongst the top coaches. Like the winning coach had Tom Phillips to start with, jumping off them early is as good as picking a good breakout mid-pricer. Yeah, beauty. All right, so Louis wants to know about a, a took slash a steal, obviously paying that 120 price tag. What are your thoughts? I know in 2017, 2018, you didn't really pay much over 100 for any of your midfielders. You've spoken about that sort of magic one, was it 116, that no, no winner has started with a player over that price point. Um, what do you think this year? Yeah, that's a bit of a miss because we also get James actually won that comp that year. Uh, really shockers the year when I tired, and he had Tom Mitchell, and he was priced at one twenty seven or something. So it definitely has happened. I've anyone to my stuff knows I don't like overpaying for players, so that's not my cup of tea. But looking at the past, so I had no no Hooper premiums my first two years when I won. My strategy is not to spend up and try to get those guys just below who can potentially perform in line. But the winners the last few years have had cut over the premium, so it fits the mould to have to spend up over your regular underpriced premium. When it comes to Tuka, it's hard to see him doing much more than the 123 he did last year, whereas Steele, like I've always been a big believer in Steele, and his second half of the year last year, there's no reason why that might not be him for a couple of years and you are getting those extra points. The salary cap this year is a bit of a arbitrage and a gap in there where you actually got more points to spend this year than you did last year and it's equivalent to 49 points. So when we look at what I've done in the past, you've actually got more money to spend. So 114 is actually the magic number for your M1, but you've got an extra 49, why not spend that extra much on on steel because it's hard to see them being back. Like the leading scorer last year was Lockie Neal, who was playing 96 or 95 percent game time, was ranked seventh amongst mids for points per minute. He was so expensive; he played so much game time in those short quarters. He was always the likely candidate to regress. Whereas, I'm, I'm, more I look, it's hard to see Jack Steele regressing. So I'm not against teams who start with him as long as you can still fit in all the other players you want. In your side. Yeah. Yeah, no, nah, summed it up very well, I think. Um, let's talk buys for a little bit. Um, some some coaches are having a little bit of trouble with the round 12 buy. Um, do you pay much attention to the buys in your starting squad or are you more looking just to get the best players at the best prices and then and then sorting that out as, as you get closer to the buys? I know Stato is very... Um, has his buy structure sorted from round one and, and basically dictates his trades from there. How do you go about it? from starting squad, but I definitely take into account. I used to run 
huge spreadsheets on the buyers. Now I have that all-around planner, which seen last year, which is a cool. Part of me is I don't like picking more multiple premiums from the one team, and that kind of plays into well, obviously they fall their buy on the same time. So no, I don't give it a heap of look in the starting squad. Probably start looking around three or four, five when I start looking at doing some upgrades. Then you start to diversify those premiums, but. I actually haven't even looked in terms of, you've mentioned round 12, I, I haven't even seen which frames will fall in the same, because if they do all fall, then it is something you need to consider. Yeah, beautiful. So we know that you like to analyse the winners of each year and, and see what they do throughout the season. We've spoken about um, Ashley's Bombers picking Parrish and those type of players. Can you see anything else that they did different during the winning season? dive into the trades yet. It's interesting, like I'm always underpriced, underpriced, uh, pick the bargains. That was my strategy. The last couple of years, Trent 2020, Ashley's Bombers 2021, I've had a lot of players who haven't outperformed their price. So the theory of you have to get, like I had a theory of you have to pick players, even your premiums need to outperform their price to do well. And my two, first year I won, I had two players on my side didn't outperform their price. One was only by one point, and then the next year only had three, and then Craig the year after only had three of his starting squad, whereas I think there's been like seven Trent and six Ash last year, so they've, they've spent up, which means a couple of things. One, you, you can miss your starting squad and still win, and you've made mention that you missed a Hines. Coming was an easy miss, not many people would have had the confidence to start with him, but Hines was a popular selection. And you still obviously almost won the comp, and you started with Phillips. So you can make mistakes, and I don't think well, looking like it, it doesn't look as vital to get those absolute bargains on every, on every line because at the end of the day, you need to get points and scores. Yeah, perfect. Um, so we've got Zach here. Um, he wants to sort of talk about the Maliras, Kernos, and Rainer types, and, and how many is too many. I suppose you just spoke about them wanting, you want your mid-prices to average that sort of 85 mark. Um, if if they're only really going to be around that sort of 70, um, would you fade all three of those players? Yeah. If you think they score 70, I'd fade those three players. It's a bit like a Fantasia last year. I think it proves a bit. Two teams at the top would have started with him and he got those couple of big scores early and made a bit of cash and had some once, but he's never going to... You're always nervous walking in every week coming and playing and the chance he's going to get a 40. You want those guys who have the potential to go 85 plus. So if you think they're going to only score 70, even though they might be priced in the 40s or 50s and you get a good bump, I don't think that's enough for me. And that's Zachy, the, the boy, the man on the... Yep, he's also, he's also an ace Freo lad as well. He probably played yeah, so good, um, with his cousin. Sorry. Yeah, profile picture with the um, High Early Foundation on his shirt, which is good to see. Yeah. So just on that then, those mid-price guys, who do you reckon is likely to be able to push that 85 mark? Have you done too much analysis into that? Do you think there's any players this year or are we more likely just to try and get the rookies? Yeah, I've got a lot of them. This guy, except for the laptop. Now, um... Well, Matt Crouch, people considering him a mid-price, I think he quite easily. 
those other chief like your Kernos and that, I doubt it. A lot of the ones who've done it in the past, so like Sicily coming off a knee is a bit of a risk, being half a defensive defender is a bit of a risk, but he's done 90s in the past, so he, he can go 85 plus. Uh, yeah, going to the guide is the best advice for those players because we, we do review 780 of them and give our projections of what we think they're going to sort of sit around and rank them, whether we think they're underpriced, lowly priced, fairly priced, Fully priced or overpriced, so that's that's the best bet for player-on-player analysis. Yeah, just just on that. So I, I'm just going to go off topic a bit here. I've I have a question for you. I was playing around with your guide today, and I had it. I had some of the um, the filters on, and I was I was in your players for the unders. So the players who you think are the most underpriced. You had Lockie Neal at number one, and then you had Chera at number two. Talk me through that. You reckon he's going to go big this year? That works the price. That's a, I think about a full four for the for those. We I give a estimate of what I think the worst case scenario is going to be, and then what the best case scenario is going to be. And someone's overpriced if I think their best case scenario is going to be less than what they're priced at. Someone's fully priced if I think their best case scenario is going to be around what they're priced at. So yeah, they could perform that price, but it's hard to see them. Outperforming that by much. Underpriced is that depending on their price point, they've got to outperform that price by a certain point on their worst case scenario. So, like a Lockie Neal, I think at his price point it might have been 10 points, so he's at the top. His worst case scenario outperforms price by 10 points. And Chera might fit that bill as well. So, what's he priced at, Chera? Uh, he's coming in at 87. Yeah, so I think. To a 97, I think it must have, or must have, maybe I would have been deep in the profiles. I've got to be crazy by that point. But in my head, I think you could do a 97, worst case, 103, say, best case, which isn't probably enough to be a parish of last year, but it's enough to say he's underpriced because I think he's got worst case 10 points upside. So that's how that works in the guide. Yeah. All right, um, moving on. I'll just get a one-word answer here. I've just got a few 50-50 calls just for Brooklyn Rebels. So, Caniglio or Heaney? I'm buying a bit of Heaney half, actually. Heaney, the nose. Oh, sorry, I'll just bring up two more minutes in me while yep. walking the kid in front of me in the car and not looking too happy. Yeah, no, nah, all good. We'll just finish on this then. Give us your thoughts on Sarong. Um, I know you're big. I've got some alter- alternative thoughts, but just, just sell me Sarong before you go. You need to sell me out of Sarong first. I can sell you out of Sarong if you want. Go for it. I just think um, his CBAs were already big last year as it was, so he was already pushing that sort of 70% CBA mark for the year. Um, third-year player. Um, we know the third-year breakout's real, but... If you look, if you look sort of through the stats a little bit more, it's only the freaks, the the McCrays and the Olivers that have pushed that that hundred marker. They normally just they get to that sort of ninety ninety five range, um, generally because of tank. I think obviously they just they're building their their endurance playing AFL footy, and it's just hard hard to average over that hundred mark if they're not sort of pushing that eighty percent um, time on ground barrier. Um, and I just I just would be worried about JL just throwing him a random role. Um, I know he's he's the future and whatnot, but you want to tell me if Mundy's in there and Fife's in there and 
and whatnot that he's not he's not playing that defensive role so that they can hunt the footy and, and whatnot. I just think there's a little bit up and down and it's not quite as simple as he'll break out to, to over 100 or 105, which we, we need. But it's just my sort of thoughts on that. I, I think he'll improve. I think he'll sort of push that 95, but is that sort of enough for a, a mid-only spot? I'm not sure. Probably not 95. I think part of it is I'm pretty bearish for a supporter. Like I, he's obviously a superstar of the comp, but just the last few years has been a bit frustrating when he does do CBA, just watching him sort of one-arm tackles and not running to, you know. So firstly, I'd like to see him spend more time forward and, and give it the new breed. Monday's a, a freak. But, mate, you're 36, like, probably sit on a half-back flake or something, let the boy, get the little young kids, have a crack. And with that time on ground, the big one for Sarong, what I think he was low early, and everyone knows about that. He was low last year and frustrating own. Hopefully that will tick up, no terror. But you're right, what is this, Max? He's not going to be... I don't think he's going to be a 110, obviously. So it's just, is it going to be... An, 95 or 105, and I think we'll know a lot more when you watch him in the, the preseason. Yeah, that's right. I think there is a lot of unknowns on unknowns on that Frio midfield, so he, he could be one to just wait a week or two and actually see how they line up and, and what kind of game time he's getting and roll, but I would just be a little bit hesitant starting him, that's that's all. No, there's you can definitely definitely jump to him, but... Once we started with him last year, probably waited two weeks with hindsight, that gives a sort of price point. Like we talk about second-year players of the past I've started with, I didn't start with them. I got them round two, and that probably was the way to go with Sarong. So, yeah, maybe he's a wait. Yeah, don't you think the difference, though, is that when you got when you did it with Taranto and when you did it with Oliver, they were from a 60 sort of price point, whereas he was already priced in the 80s. So, obviously, the COVID year had his scores elevated because he was he was probably playing more time on ground in that year than... He would if it was full quarters. So, I think that was sort of the difference last year. Is he was he was only really going to get to that eighty mark because the eighty average from before was inflated. Just just my thoughts anyway. Yeah, that's a great. Just price. Like that price of eighty probably was a bad pick. He's never going to go up. So, yeah. yeah. Any, anyway, Selby, thanks so much for jumping on, mate. We really appreciate it. Um, yeah, thanks for giving us your time. Hope you're not in too much trouble from the wife. So relieved. She's more relieved than me to get that season guide out because I've been non-stop every night on the laptop. So one night I'm free. I'm still talking fancy footy. That's all. That's why we love it. So good to jump on, mate. Good to, really impressive the way you've been going about it the last couple of years with your coaching of this team and this little community you've got set up looks outstanding. So um, we'll keep in touch shortly. Yeah, beautiful, mate. Thanks. Take care. All right, thanks for listening, guys. Hope you enjoyed that. Um, me and Zach will get that recorded, and we've been recording it. We'll get it edited and uploaded so that you can go back and listen through if you need to. Um, but yeah, thanks for tuning in. Kyle, how many how many questions did you get through in the end? Uh, well, probably like ten or eleven. I think a lot of them were double ups, so a lot of them got covered anyway in terms of like theory that he was speaking about and and philosophies and things like that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. Um, 
yeah, he was obviously tight for time. So we're very fortunate that we were able to get the time that we did from him. So yeah, exactly yeah. right. No. I hope, hope no. everyone got a lot out of that because it's yeah always great to talk to Selby. He he clearly knows his stuff. Yeah, no, you did well, mate. Thanks for doing that. Um, yeah, we'll get the recording going and then we'll put it up on the Discord when we've done it. And um, I guess there's no real point in opening up to the floor. We can, you and I can always do an AMA whenever we want. Whenever we want, we don't have to do it now. So, yeah, no, exactly right. I've got some okay. stuff to do. Anyway. I'll talk to you later, boys. Thank you. All right. See you, mate.